podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to Scouser Tommies. I'm Jim Boardman and I'm delighted to say that with me today is a, a new member of the Anfield Index team. If you like, he's writing for us on a regular basis. It's great to have him on board. He knows so much more about Liverpool than I do. It's Tony Evans. Tony, good to speak to you, good to hear from you and good to have you on the channel. How's things? Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, apart from the football. Um, yes. <laughs> but you know, it's, uh, it's great to be on board, so fantastic. Yeah, I mean, we're saying we're recording this just after one of the most um, embarrassing Liverpool games in ages. But the thing is, we don't need to tell you when that was because they just seem to be happening all through the season. It's um, it's difficult. It's difficult to watch Liverpool at the moment, and you know, maybe time, by the time you read this, it'll all be forgotten. But I doubt it. It's it's difficult to know where to start with them, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that's happened is I, I don't think people give them enough credit for how well they've done is so many players in this team played way above their own level for so mm. long and normally you know you'll get three who, uh, who are playing really well and others will have dips but they didn't they all maintained a ridiculously high standard which uh, when you look at the actual ability the levels of skill that you know you wouldn't say they, they should be anywhere near especially not for a prolonged period and then all of a sudden They've all dropped off a cliff. They're all, all playing badly together. It's, um, so yeah, I mean, then there's there's loads of issues there. Uh, we could we could waste a whole day or two talking about it. But the only thing is, the World Cup's around the corner. There'll be a break. They'll give them a chance to reset. And you know what? I never thought I'd be saying, "Oh, great, World Cup in the middle of the season." I, you know, the Premier League stops. Delighted. I was like, "This is just crap." I don't want it. I don't want it. Now I'm like, bring it on, bring it on. Qatar, Qatar rules sports washing. We love it all. Yeah, I mean, it's just good to like, it'd be good like for a few days where you can walk into a paper shop without having to be, having to walk straight out again. Cause like, I haven't bought a paper for ages because of, because of how bad I've kept saying to myself, I'm going to go out on a Sunday and buy the, buy a paper. And then every Sunday I'm like, nope, no, nope, we'll leave that this week. So hopefully that changes. But, um, what won't change and doesn't seem to change is that, and you think, I mean, this is a more general topic now, but it's happening in every game. And I can guarantee that if you listen into this, to like the day we record it or months ahead, I get the feeling you the same thing will have just happened at our last game. And this is all the um, anti-Hillsborough chanting that seems to be like the fad at the moment, the, the, the in vogue thing to do. Um, it happens when we go away and it happens at home. And you'd think by now people would understand because to me, I think I spent a long time 
um, say maybe 10 years ago, I spent a lot of time explaining to people what the boycott of the sun was actually about and explaining what had really happened. And time and time again, people would go, my God, I didn't realise that was what happened. I didn't realise that was the truth. I'd only ever heard this other version. But now, personally, I don't think anyone's got an excuse not to understand what's gone on. So, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll know yourself the same. Why does it seem like we're hearing more and more of these chants? Uh, well, it's worse than ever, and I, I can't believe it's getting so bad. I think it's a, a young generation who, ten years ago, when you know, the Hillsborough Independent Panel come along, and we were explaining that to a lot of people, uh, and, and many of those who were alive in 1989 and you know were of a reasonable age realised with shock and horror that they've been lied to on such a level, not only by the Sun, but by the authorities. And so there was there was a couple of years between the the the, the Hillsborough Independent Panel and the inquest where all of a sudden everything seems to be going in our direction. Mm. And then it's gone completely the opposite way. And I think it's also a wider thing. I was um I haven't listened to it today, but there was a thing on BBC Radio 4 um about people who have been trolling the victims of the Manchester Arena bombings. Mm. And you think to yourself, oh my God, that's unbelievable. And one of the points that I keep making over Hillsborough and why it's so important and why we care and why we carry on is it's not for us. It's not for us. We, it, it's gone for us. Not will ever not will ever make it better. Not will ever bring back the dead. Not will ever bring back the pain. Not will ever take away the nightmares. But the what really sickens me is that at least two victims of the Manchester Arena bombing died for the same systemic reasons that the authorities failed them as people died at Hillsborough. And we should have learned from Hillsborough. We should have learned people shouldn't be doing that. But then when you see that, the, that those victims are getting trolled as well, you know, your mind explodes. And that makes me think of things like Sandy Hook and... Yeah. You know, we've seen really high-profile stuff. And when you add into that toxic, and it's, it's generally uh, as a result of online stuff, when you throw in the toxic elements of football, it makes it worse. I mean, you see this lead stickhead at the weekend getting off at the station with yeah. the sun, and he's Irish as well. Yeah. I mean, for God's sake, you know, how many... Yeah, you know, so a, a, a Leeds fan who's Irish, and presumably by the look of him, he isn't exactly from the upper classes, let's no. say. And, you know, and he's waving the sun, and you think, what's going on in people's minds? I, it, it's, uh, I, I don't know what to do about it, except I think the football authorities need to, and, and the police need to crack down. You know, you can see where people are, are sitting, you can see who's singing, you can trace people with tickets. And I think a couple of high-profile, um, uh, basically, as a singling out would, would do an awful lot to help us. I mean, you know, Charles Hennessy is, is, you know, is brilliant. You know, so in chasing down trolls on Twitter yeah. uh, and calling the police, and um, and Louise too. You know, they, they they're a fantastic pair. But you know, if someone's got to hold these these people who are obscene, obscene it's it's. Uh, the, the funny thing is, you can imagine there'd be the same sort of people who'd be aghast at what's gone over on over Sandy Hook, and yet they're doing the same thing to the families and the survivors of the the most visible tragedy in in British history. Yeah, it's, it it feels to me as well that a lot of it is um, 
they, I don't know what it's, it's, they can't be very nice people. That's that's one of the things I'll say. I get I get that that sometimes when you're in a group and maybe you've had a couple of drinks, maybe you get kind of find yourself doing something you you wouldn't normally do, but not to that extent and. You know, not not to sort of feel bad afterwards. I find I find it frustrating that when we call other clubs out, that they don't just at least go on social media and say, "Listen, dickheads, don't do that. It's not nice. Stop doing it." Um, when it happened in the Charity Shield, Community Shield final, whatever you want to call it these days, um, City fans had been coming out with the usual stuff. That City supposedly put a statement out during the game that got read out on TV. None of the people at the game were watching TV; they were at the game now. If they'd have all sort of looked on the Twitter on the way home, the Facebook, whatever, and seen the club putting out a very clear message all across their website, this will not do, this is not good enough, please stop doing this. To me, that would have started a little bit of education because I think sometimes you, you can... There's some people who aren't going to change. That's just the way they are. But there's like, for everyone like that, there's maybe nine or ten looking on who would learn something. And I think, I mean, I've seen you have so many Twitter arguments with people and I often think the person that your argument's with is probably not going to change the mind, but there's countless other people looking on who are going to start having a bit of food for thought at least. And education is so important. And, you know, again, the FA, the Premier League and the club should just be doing it. I'd, I'd be ashamed if Liverpool fans were doing that to someone and I'd want my club to act. I don't understand why other clubs aren't acting. Manchester City's behaviour was was absolutely obscene. I can't believe it. And, you know, part of me understands why 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds, people... You know, I was a dickhead once as well. Excuse me. I was a dickhead once as well. And, you know, and and I said and did things which I look back on. And I'm like, oh, why did I do that? You know, did I have no humanity? Young people often have no sense of their own mortality or anyone else's, you know, things you think are funny when you're young. So I can kind of get that, and I can almost forgive that. What I can't give is fully grown adults with children, with families who are doing this. And what I can't forgive is football clubs, organisations, who find themselves so blinded by rivalry, a rivalry which they're winning, by the way, in, in no uncertain terms, that they can't, find their own base of humanity and that was you know for city to do that i was i was like oh and i don't blame blame obviously all city fans you you get divorced the club from the fans because i know loads who have tried to help over hillsborough and who have been really you know who who, who do do care but like him it's what what city did they feed they they were feeding the weaponization of things like hillsborough and heisel from their fan base and they kind of you know, by the back door, it felt like they were endorsing it. Now they'll go, oh, no, of course we went, of course we went. And they'll be horrified to hear someone say something like that about them. Well, you know what? If you're not against the problem, you're part of the problem. Hmm. And that's the bottom line. Yeah. And I think another thing about the football authorities not stepping in on it, I, I actually think there's an element, and whether this there is true or not, I don't know. There's an element who are kind of thinking, well, I can't be racist, I can't be sexist, I can't be homophobic, I can't chant any of those things because they're actually illegal and if I'm caught, I could be in some serious trouble. Whether you're caught is another matter, but, you know, there's that sort of serious deterrent. But Hillsborough feels like it's um, an easy target for them because it's probably not illegal as such other than, you know, 
it's harassment, I suppose, isn't it? There's, there's, there's probably legal ways you can do people for it, but it's not as cut and dried. It's certainly not something in the FA's rules on, um, what you are and aren't allowed to do. You know, if a footballer had to go at a Liverpool player and used a Hillsborough slur, they wouldn't really get into as much trouble as they would if it was sexist, racist, homophobic, whatever. But I, and I do think that's what some of, some of it is. It's another way of them just, just being cruel because they, they enjoy being cruel and they think that banter for, for want of a better word, can go that far so this this is their way of doing it i might be wrong but um to me that that's part of it as well yeah you know uh, jim one of the turning points for me in not only sort of in terms of football but bigger than that was the um the, the 1985 semi-final at goodison and uh the ticket that i had me and my brother were two seats uh, uh, well it was one seat we were we were uh, two and three Away from the director's box in the main stands, yeah. and um, and Bobby Charlton was in the director's box, and I looked across, and you know, and uh, there was there was a Munich song going up, and I thought it was his mate. Mm. He yeah. was there, and like, and he, before that, you know, I'd been a plank with the rest of them, but I looked at him and I thought, nah, that's not good. That's not good. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, uh, uh, and I, I thought to myself, and. There is. It might seem to a lot of these people who was who was singing this stuff and doing this stuff. It kind of, you know, it's it's you know. I I used to actually go to Old Trafford and see fellas who were my age. You know, when the Munich songs went up, going yeah. mad and throwing themselves at the barriers trying to get it. You know, it's us like. Yeah. And I think, well, you know, it's like, you know, what 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 can it matter to him? You know, one of them. And you know he wasn't even born likely, you know, mm. when that happens. And then you only come to realise later that you know he would have, you know, he, he would have known people who were overwhelmed by the tragedy. And while not many people were that that directly involved because it was a small number, that there's a wider sense of grief, and we we understand that within a city. And 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 yet it's it's it becomes part of your it becomes part of your culture it comes becomes part of what is important here and that's why people get upset about it but it, it's kind of again to, to a certain extent a, a lot of the survivors um, and especially those who are in the pens or you know they're in the position of Bobby Charlton was in back in you know in 1985 you know they they were there. They they, yeah. they they had near death experiences. Their mates died. You know, some of us some of us saw more dead bodies than I don't know than than the majority of people who've served in the armed forces. Yeah. You know, it's 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 and and it's one of those things that which you know you, you sing it in a trite way. And I don't think most people actually stop to consider the impact it has. No. And I think this is it. There's, I always say that, I mean, I was lucky I wasn't there that day. This was one of those semis where, for my, my chances of getting a ticket were out the window. I think you needed vouchers in those days to get a ticket and I didn't have the right voucher. And I can't remember the issue. I don't think we could get time off work to go and queue and all the rest of it. So in the end, never got a ticket. Um, and in fact, I think in the end, I was watching it with a blue in a pub that day because it wasn't meant to be on TV, of course because they never did show live footy in those days for the semis, but it ended up being live because of what went on. And I can just remember that the horror, but I've always looked back and remembered the lad from work who did go. And now on the Monday in work, everyone assumed that it might've been me 
and the look on people's faces when they realised it wasn't me. But then thinking, my God, what are the look on their faces who realised who it was? It was the other young Liverpool lad of that age who did a similar job, you know, a couple of offices away from me. It's And that's just one little tiny story, isn't it? The people who went through it, the people who lost the loved ones, the the, the stories, and you've only got to read one story to me and, and you feel something. And may, maybe that's a way that, clubs like City can kind of get the message across. Maybe they should start sticking some of these stories onto their website because there's plenty of survivors who can't talk about what happened, still still struggle to talk about what happened, as you, as you know full well, and you know, I know you know people who's, who's absolutely been destroyed by it, and there's people who aren't with us anymore because of what it did to them. But maybe just having a listen to some of those stories might might get through to them. But it feels... Feels like it's a big, a big ask for us to actually have to keep pushing it like this. Why, why do we have to? But I suppose we're never going to stop. That's, that's something we feel like we've all done. And, and when I'm at the ground and I'm, and I'm hearing those chants, I'm not bothered about me. I'm bothered about survivors who are nowhere amongst us. You know, maybe I haven't even told anyone that a survivor don't talk about it. Maybe the ones who do, the people who are having nightmares and the family members who are there, who, who lost loved ones. You know, the, the the kids who never got to see the dad because they were tiny when when the dad died. All all of this, it's like 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 Charlotte's one that you mentioned. There's just too many of these stories, so we've we've got to defend them, and I'm sure we will. But then the other thing that's creeping in, and to me, it's on a different level. It's it's it's, but it's still bad. Is all the sign on stuff? So every game for years, you get the sign on, and Jay who does Scouser Thomas with us, he, he calls it um, lower lower club bingo chanting because it feels like, um, you know, lower league clubs come along and it, but now Premier Leagues as well and they have this little rotor of songs they're going to sing and there's always a sign-on type, type song in there. But we played Forest and they were doing it and obviously we've got Forest memories from the 80s but Forest, Nottingham was, was I think, the eighth poorest city in the country according to something I read recently. I'm sure Leeds, you know, there was a few of them that we're trying it, you know, similar situation. You can go through all, all the clubs and there's poverty everywhere. And even Manchester, you know, um, I've, I've exchanged quite a few tweets and tried to help out with one of the Manchester food banks and that's joined forces with Liverpool food banks. I mean, there's people in this country who having to go to food banks, even saying that we, we've kind of become almost numbed to what that means that there's people in this country who haven't got enough money to eat and having to go and basically get some charity to eat and charity that it's not off the government it's off other people who are being kind enough to help them in the in 2022 i find that astounding yet there's people in football grounds who've got the privilege of paying 60 quid or whatever plus their ale money plus the transport to sit there and sing sign on and basically just mock poor people what and I, to, to me, the, the scout's not English. If anything, he's aimed at that kind of attitude, not everyone in England. Because as you know and I know, there's loads of great people in England. It doesn't matter, but there's just all these idiots who find this a bit of fun. Well, I, it, it's ironic that food banks, you know, uh, are so prevalent now, and and that you know the, the fan support and food bank thing started in Liverpool because the essence of what we call scouts is rooted in essentially food banks. Yeah, you know, it was, um, you know, it was a, a scouts was used as a, a, an insult to those who used free soup kitchens who bought the cheapest. Um, who bought the cheapest uh, food they could get from sort of mobile, like soup trolleys, yeah. and one of them. And generally, they were they were 
the, the Irish immigrants and um, and and they you know sort of mostly germinated around Scotland Road. And the thing is, before. I mean, Scouse is a fairly recent thing. And 1947 was the first time it was used in the Oxford English Dictionary. Right. And it began to coalesce as an identity about 100 years ago, funnily enough. You know, and, um, and, and where it was, it was, it was a, it, up until then, the people in, on the Dock, Docklands or Liverpool, where the immigrant communities come in after the famine, again, we go back to hunger, who come mm. in after the famine. They would have identified as Irish, you know. Round us had an Irish nationalist MP until 1929, yeah. you know. So it's um, uh, long after the, the the you know sort of Irish independence and the free state was up and running. So it, so that that that's our come and what it was was a term used by the English to insult the immigrants. So the Scouse nor English thing is is I, I mean I maintain you cannot be Scouse in English. They're mutually exclusive because yeah. it's an insult, and you know it's um, so so it comes from that, and and there we are again with the English celebrating hunger and mocking hunger and scousers trying to <laughs> trying to fight it, and you know and of course we know that there are plenty of English people across the country, as you say the the Manchester and Liverpool food banks joined together did fantastic work in the pandemic and the lockdowns mm. especially when all the, those poor students in manchester were, oh, were basically uh, <laughs> locked in like a concentration camp and couldn't get out and get any food and you know and uh, the pool of manchester food banks man city food banks went up with loads of pizzas so you know yeah. I'm, we do use the sweeping thing the english but it's, uh, you know it's it, it's it's not quite like that but the scouse identity is you know it, it, it's it's founded in being an outsider, being an immigrant, being the object of ridicule, yeah. and and it, it's never changed. And you know what? You know you're saying about these places, Nottingham. You're saying about like uh, Manchester and all that. Well, I remember back in the eighties and in in the days when you know it was difficult for a scouser to spend a twenty pound note in London. The yeah. suspicion was unbelievable. You know, it was like they didn't want our money. They didn't want us in their pubs. You know, one of them. It was far worse than it is now in that way. But at that time, Liverpool has a reputation for being a really violent city. You know, um, I remember the, um, uh, uh, the, the, the the Daily Mirror, you know, sort of did a piece where they quoted someone saying, uh, you should put a wall around Liverpool, like, like the Berlin Wall, and keep them in. You know, it's one of them. And, it, it's, it's you know, it was, um, it, it was a symbol of everything that's wrong with urban life, you know. Yeah. And, I, I, I used to read all this and see all this, and then you go to other places. I mean, we got off the train one night in Wigan. Thought, oh, we'll have a drink on the way back from, I think it was, I forget where we were coming back from, you know, sort of. But we went for a bevy in, in, in Wigan. And it was carnage. People were murdering each other in the streets. <laughs> the same in Leicester. Blackburn, Blackburn. And you go out in Liverpool, and you barely see a fight. Yeah. And yet we had this dangerous reputation. And that's all rooted in anti-Irishness. You can go back. All the tropes are always said, you know, drunken, sentimental, emotional, you know, things they said about the Irish. And the, the, you can go back, trace it through the papers and follow it. But I couldn't believe, you know, Nottingham, Nottingham was like the Wild West. Yeah. You know, they were killing each other. And we were like, oh, we'd be in the Yankee in the Wine Lodge. And, uh, you know, you'd only see, yeah, you, you probably, if, if, during the, the peak 80s, going out. And bear in mind, I was deeply embe embedded in what you call scally culture. And you probably only see 
three or four fights a year, if that. Yeah. And yet Liverpool always had this reputation for being worse. And you look now, it's like, you know, sort of at the figures for burglary, you look at the figures for gun crime and all that. But it's always Liverpool. It's always Liverpool. And, um, you know, and yes, we, we have had some high profile. You cannot deny, you know, the bulger thing, you mm. know, it was massive and still is in people's psyche. You've got, you know, obviously uh, the poor little girl in Dovecott the other week. Yeah. And, you know, and then um, Reese Jones, you've got things like that. But there is a sense all the way through that, like, sort of Liverpool's history, certainly post famine, that violence in Liverpool was always amplified more by the, the press in this country. Well, for example, the um, everyone knows Peaky Blinds is now, yeah. but like it's um, you know they, they wear what what they really wear was a street gang in Birmingham, mm-hmm. and Manchester had the Scufflers, but guess what? Who were the most famous ones? Yeah. And you know the high rip in Liverpool, they got most of the um, the publicity, and of course, you know when they come to name, they didn't call them Jack the Scuffler. They didn't call him Jack the Blinder. He was Jack the Ripper because, you know, because Liverpool always had its its problems amplified by the rest of the country because it was seen as an, 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 a rogue city, a city of outsiders, a city that voted for Irish MPs, a city that had sectarian problems, you know, sectarian riots. It's, um, and so Liverpool was always outside the, the, the mainstream in this country and it still hasn't gone away and the deep hatred of Scousers has long, long roots that go back well, we're heading for like two centuries now Yeah and and you, and I mean it is, it's, it's it's a city, I mean we, we see similarities with other cities you know, the, I mean Glasgow's a place and you think yeah, there's, there's things in common, Newcastle is a place there's things in common and I mean maybe one thing in common with Newcastle is in my view, whenever I go to Newcastle I find really friendly people who can't do enough for you to help you um, you know, they, they go out of the way to make sure you're okay and stuff like that, which you know, it's kind of how Liverpool is, I mean Liverpool's such a relaxed place, don't get me wrong though, you're right there will be People are a bit tanked up. There'll always be trouble. You'll get that in any town centre, any city centre, on a night when everyone's had a few. That that's what happens. But the thing about those um, incidents you mentioned, though, those, those horrific moments like the bulges and you know all the other similar things that happen, I always feel like I mean with, with the, the the sad story of the little girl in Dovecot recently, I just thought you know what they'll find who did that because although there's a kind of anti grass culture if you like in Liverpool. There's no way you're going to get away with that because Liverpool will make sure you you get dealt with for that. And in some ways, maybe they're better off being caught by the police than um, than being caught by the people, if that makes sense. Because as a community, there's there's there's, there's limits you go over, and I think it becomes self policing, doesn't it? In Liverpool, there's a lot a lot of sort of self policing, and it is it is like a village. I mean, it's surprising. Like people say that, but it's surprising how you hear about things of people who you think aren't connected, and all of a sudden. People know stuff that's gone on. It's bizarre. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA 
to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, you, you really you look at that and, um, and you think to yourself, you know, this is beyond the pale. You know, people can't get away with it. And it, you would hope, and from, from my faith, everyone has been putting forth names and, you know, and in a city where, you know, the, 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 uh, where speaking to the police on any level is considered a, <laughs> almost a crime in itself. Yeah, you know, you, you, I think people do understand where the limits of um, casual and inoffensive criminality, if I can put it like that way, yeah. and and where where people need to you know really need to stand up for the you know for the society really for the, and and that's the thing one of the things that happens in the in the aftermath of thatcherism the the we we come into this you know there is no society world mm. where you only had responsibility to those to yourself and those closest to you you didn't have any responsibility to anyone else and while that's hit liverpool as well as everywhere else the the there is still a great sense of having responsibility to people around you yeah. and which to to be fair you do get in a lot of working class communities and uh and it's encouraging working class communities but it does seem that that that's fraying everywhere and it's held together longer in liverpool uh, that's just my view as someone who's now lived in london for a long long time and so you get to see both sides of it yeah, and, and I mean, you're right. I and mean, I'm sure that, I mean, there's communities within London as well, of course, that are, are close knit and, and people look after each other and, and everything. It's, it's everywhere. And maybe the thing that's in common with that is when people are looking after others other than themselves, other than their own families is, um, is maybe that these people are at the poor end of the scale in terms of what, what kind of money they've got coming in because, um, Liverpool's never been a, well, it, well, they say it's never been an affluent city. Of course it has, because that's why we've all, we've got all that great architecture. It's one of the, probably richest cities in the world but not the people in it weren't necessarily the richest because they were just looked down upon weren't they and, and as you say the the anti-irish sentiment i found it mad growing up that i didn't get taught officially anything about what was going on in ireland you didn't get to hear anything officially about what was happening in ireland and why there was a dispute because you know the, the government didn't want kids to know did they so there was no sort of curriculum um, lesson on what was going on in Ireland and the troubles in Ireland. You only ever found out because people who wanted you to know the truth told you. And I doubt that's changed now. I doubt kids today are being told a sort of even an impartial attempt at what happened in Ireland because this government and this country doesn't like to sort of own up to what it's done in the past because, in my view, it wants to do it again. And, and that's why I think it's so important that places like Liverpool sort of keep shining a light on all of this stuff because... It's been Liverpool over and over again, but just as with Hillsborough, it could have been your club. Poverty and issues like Liverpool has faced, it could be your city, it could be your people in the future. You know, sitting around and letting them get away with it is exactly how they get away with it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, essentially, when, when you're saying the sums right, your murderers, what you're doing, you're endorsing... Uh, uh, national newspapers lying to you. Mm. You're endorsing police getting off the hook for, uh, despite you know, murderous mistakes. Frankly, yeah. you know, you're in, you're you're endorsing the police um, running a full cover up 
to protect their own to protect their own uh, reputations. And you know what? If you think that that's right, well, frankly, you're fucking mad. Yeah, and it's going to be you next, and that's that's the thing what people don't realize. I mean. Um, there was a thing, I think it was a reporter in the Times of all places, and he actually did a piece about benefits saying, look, don't ever think that you're never going to ever be on benefits because you really don't know. And in his case, it was, um, he had a disabled son, if I'm not mistaken, and he needed benefits because the cost of looking after his son was, was phenomenal because of the extra, you know, the extra stuff they needed, you know, in terms of people and equipment and, and getting him to a right school that could help him and, and, and make him move forward. There's no one that I know of that would be grudge, you know. I'm, I'm sure not a poor um, reporter, if you like, from the Times. I'm sure, you know, they, they're, they're not, you know, they, they're not short of cash. They're quite well to do, but there's a limit to what they can do, and they wanted the best for their son, and the country's helped them. And you know, at the same time, he's talking about how he felt like there was a real stigma to it. And I personally, I'm sure there are some, but personally, I don't know anyone who's claiming benefits and wants to, I think most people would rather be well enough to work and rather be able to go and do a job, go and do an honest day's work and earn the money for it. Because no one really wants to sit around and doing nothing, do they? They want they want to, let's face it, benefits don't exactly make you rich and they would just rather have some money and be able to spend it comfortably without worrying that they're going to be told they're not allowed it. Yeah, well, I'll be absolutely honest, Jim. Like, I'd rather sit around doing nothing. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd love to, but... Here's the thing, the, the the other half of the equation is if you are sitting around doing nothing, then you've got nothing. You can't go out, you can't go to the match, you can't do all the things you want to do. Yeah. The basic, the, the, you, know, you, you know, you fancy a curry, well, you're not going to be able to afford a curry. So things that a lot of people take for granted, you can't do, and nobody wants that, I'm telling you. It's like, it's, you know, every, everyone's full of this um oh yeah look at them they've got everything they've got you know widescreen tvs and they've got iphones and i'm like that's that's actually not the problem they don't cost that much in the great scheme of things and you can actually get get them on tick you know it's Mm. like um there are ways of doing it you know you you take out a a, a, you know a phone contract and you can get the latest iphone you know and, and you're not paying that much a month but what what is the killer is the lack of the, the the lack of possibilities, the lack of you know the, the the lack of expectation, and the feeling that you're going to be stuck in this situation all your life. That yeah. it's nothing worse than that. And and we need to offer people opportunity. We need to you know you will sit there doing nothing if you if you believe you can't do anything. And if at every place you turn to you get knocked back. You know, you learn the lesson quickly. You know, I, I in in the in the early eighties when I come out of well, I come out of school in the late seventies and, and in the early eighties, you know, there were, there were very few jobs in Liverpool either left or you know if you if you could get the money to leave and you could like um, uh, you know, and, and and you had the energy to do it, or I knew some kids who, who went to school with me who went years and years without working and you yeah. know what it, it's like they, they, they were demonized as lazy but they tried and they tried they'd spend two years going after hundreds of jobs and in the end after two years they're like i'm not gonna get any no what, 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 why try and then you've got then you've got that lost generation and it's happening again and it's it, it's just sickening one thing I will say, though, is having worked for the time, you'd be surprised how little they pay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I can I can imagine, yeah, because we know where all the money goes to, don't we? And it's not um, 
it's not the people down below the um, top tier, shall we say? But the, mm. yeah, um, and of course, journalism, of course, is is another thing that's dying out. Maybe we should get onto that sometime because um, I, I was reading a piece. There's actually a, a, um, a new Liverpool outlet that's independent called the Liverpool Post. Um, and I got an email off them the other day, one of their weekly emails, and they were just talking about, um, bizarrely, that Google grant, gave a grant to the Echo, to, which is obviously owned by Reach, PLC, and a FTSE 100 company, yeah. and they got a grant from Google to take oh. on the post, which is a little sort of almost, I wouldn't say voluntary, they, they, they managed to bring enough money in to keep themselves ticking over and, and to pay themselves a little bit of money, I'm sure. But there's about three of them running everything for this this new outlet that's that's independent. And and what they talk about is there's one, the person who sent the email said he'd worked as a, a, an intern at one of the other regional papers, probably the ones in the likes of St. Helens and Wigan and, and so on, I would imagine. And the editor there telling them that there used to be 20, 30 staff doing things and they'd I have plenty of time to look into issues, you know, get to the bottom of stories and, and get them out there, get the truth out to people. And then now they'd be down to three people who had to just spend the day pushing social media things and, you know, trying to clickbait things and all the rest of it. There's just no real journalism. And, and this independent outlet's trying to do that because another thing that we're, we're going to have to be careful about is that what's helped the Hillsborough campaign get to so much prominence is that lots of people have put countless hours into it not just hours they've been paid for as well you know you, you'll know yourself there's loads of people who've written about it investigated it pushed it and they've put you know so much into it because they wanted to get to the truth but the way journalism is now i get the feeling that we're going away from that to the point where you know i'm sick of seeing stories come up on certain websites that's basically telling us how someone got an answer wrong on the chase that afternoon yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you, you see things that make you groan, and um, and and to be fair, the Daily Mail put a lot of money into journalism. They they do more than most, whether you like them or not. Mm. You know, they 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 do invest in journalism. But I saw today there was a thing on the Daily Mail website where they had one of the, the probably young kids harvesting Twitter for for views on you know the the uh, the problems in Dover and all that sort of stuff, and she quoted Sir Michael Take a former Tory MP, which, I mean, frankly, Sir Michael T on the Twitter thing, <laughs> it's, it's uh, I, you know, it's like, uh, it, it's a parody. You know, it, it's obvious that it's a parody. And yes, sometimes <laughs> you, you're so blinded by your Tory hatred, I am, that I don't recognise parodies immediately because they're, they're so close to the truth. <laughs> but Sir Michael T, I mean, come on, you know, it's... um. And 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 of course it was in the piece. Everyone had great fun with it and laughed at it. Uh, then the, the mail reposted the stuff and took it out. And there's probably someone's lost the job there and having a setback in the journalistic career for what it's worth. But this is not the way they should be doing it. You know, journalism is about. It should be about. It should be about trying to tell the truth. Yeah. You know, every you know without being too pompous. You know, holding power to account or doing your best you can to do it. And you know, and like, and all right, sometimes it's fairly trivial. You know, when you're working in football journalism. But you know what? The one thing I always tried to do was hold, in particular, Liverpool to account and football clubs to account. Yeah. You know, it was important to me because they can't just ride roughshod. And as a result, you know, some of us, some of us ended up on a blacklist. Some of us were compared to the Khmer Rouge. Yes, I, mean, I remember. You know, it's, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you might have been in a similar situation. Yes. And, um, 
and and but you know at least we tried we're trying and journalism isn't about sitting uh on a computer rewriting other people's copy um harvesting twitter you know looking on facebook it's not about that it's about making context and trying to get stories and stories that are worthwhile you know what i never cared about transfer stories i don't give a flying <laughs> you know whatever about them because that that's what the club do and it's up to them and if you're here you're yeah yeah there's transfer story big deal what i did care about is where the money went on transfers yes and that was if he's up who it went to that mattered to me because this was the money that comes through us paying through the gate. It comes through our Sky and BT subscriptions. It's 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 what we pay for ultimately, yeah. and you know it's, you should be accountable for it. And you know, and agents and intermediaries raking money in that that offends me. So in the, in those terms, they they're the things that you, you know. Even in football, you try to hold people to account, and you know. I, I, you know, where, where you think people are wrong, then, you know, shine a light on it, illuminate it. And we had lots of that with Liverpool in the first five years of Fenway, particularly, yeah. and in the previous five years with um, Hicks and Gillette. And, you know, <laughs> as you know, we fought those battles and we tried to be as, as we tried to be as honest and uh, and make the club as transparent as possible. And people don't like it because you know what they want? And that's the worst thing. They don't want to be told the truth. What they want to do is have the rosy view of their club and how great yeah. it is. You know, and then of course you lose a few games and they all turn and the, the, there's lynch mobs come over club. Um yeah. <laughs> the same people who don't want to know about the seamy sides of the club. I, I so I kind of you know, party despairs about it all. But you, in, in the end you've got to look at what's important. And coming back around full circle, what's important is what Hillsborough, it's not just important for us. And I think I said in my column on Friday, you know what? It's not about the battle for justice anymore. It's about the battle to to stop people, stop people amp- amplifying injustice. We're never going to get justice. We've moved on to a different thing. Yeah. And where it is now is to make sure that people know the real truth and people know that they can't. They, you know what? They think to us always the victims. Well, you know what? We were the fucking victims. Yeah. We remain the fucking victims. We're victims of an outrage, of an injustice. And you know what? They shouldn't think it's funny. And we're not self-pitying about it because we fought every step of the way and we will continue. I will die fighting this. Right? Mm-hmm. So, But we are victims. That's a bit of truth. And I'll tell you what, if they had any decency, they'd get behind us. They would, and that's that's that that is one of the, one of the frustrations. This this city, I mean, the, I mean, there's so much of what you've just said. Though we could do podcasts on every sentence, almost of what you've just said. I mean, certainly the Khmer Rouge stuff we should go back to. That was funny, and and the, the thing that struck me most about that period of time was when I say Liverpool's a village. So was the sort of Liverpool fan base, or at least the lot of us then, that were all comparing notes with each other and realizing that the story that he told you and he told me and he told him and he told the other person, uh, well, actually, the great big holes in all of this, because the, the, the mistake they always made when they weren't being honest with us was they'd get the big parts of the story sort of spot on, they'd get the story straight, but it's all the little bits of filler in between that trip them up. And straight away, you know, that something's amiss. And, you know, they took on the wrong club, didn't they? Now, just like people yeah, take on exactly. the wrong city. And the truth is that I would say 
most of the people who are sort of writing passionately about Liverpool, whether it's the city or the club, want the best for the city or the club. I mean, when I was writing for the Mirror, I wouldn't sort of be told what I, I was going to write. I wrote where I thought was best for the club. And some people said, what are you writing for them for? They're anti-Liverpool, which, let's face it, every paper's anti-every club, aren't they, depending on who you yeah. support. But, you know, better to have someone inside giving that, trying to get that message out than, than to be outside of it, not able to get your message out. And and that's what I think has been key to so many of our battles that we've 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 sort of we've, we've tried to be honest we tried to be straight we tried to do it for the right reasons and as a result i think there's a hell of a lot of integrity among people who do write about liverpool yeah yeah and and you know what the thing is i've been accused of hating every club and um <laughs> and, and and to be honest when you're in football journalism after a while you kind of it takes the edge off your um fanaticism yeah and you want to see good people successful so you want nice people to win and you want bad people to do badly so, you know, it's, um, it's that, that is into it. But the one thing I will, because I grew up with perhaps an ideal, idealised view of Liverpool, I'll hold Liverpool to account probably more than any other club. And, in fact, definitely more. I'm not saying yeah. probably. I will. I will. And I am outraged more when Liverpool don't live up to my expectations than I'm when anyone else does. So, so yeah. So in that sense, I do hate the club. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, to, to be honest, they, they haven't done that badly in the last couple of years, apart from the, you know the, the behaviour during lockdown with the um, the furlough scheme, which was yeah. just you know unconscionable. But for the most part, you know the um, and, and people get you know upset about Fenway. For the most part, Fenway have listened, and, and they they don't listen first time round. No, you know, with, like you say to them, don't do that. That's a mistake. And they go and do it. Yeah. And then everyone goes, that's a fucking mistake. And then they, they do a U-turn. But they yeah. do listen. Other clubs don't, you know. So, uh, but, and, you know, it's, um, you know, uh, you know so it's a, I'm, I'm, I'm heading towards the FSG out territory. And we don't really want to go there today. No. But it's insane. It's insane. You know yeah. what? All clubs get transfers wrong. All clubs don't spend when they might have spent. And you look back and you say, what a shoulda, coulda. Um, but, like, Fenway are the worst owners, and sometimes the um, the criticism of them is um, used to deflect from what's going on actually in Liverpool and the pro- and the problems that in, within the club are being caused in Liverpool, not Boston. But again, that's for another subject, another day. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? There's this simplistic thing as well with fans that. And and actually with some clubs that um, when things aren't going well, there must be one thing that's wrong. And we, when we find that one thing, we can just change that one thing and everything will be fine. So that's why so many clubs fire managers and then find themselves in an even worse situation six months later. And then again and again and again. And because, well, maybe they know what the real problem is and it's the people who've got the power to do the firing of the managers that are wrong. But, you know, we as a club, I think we're not like that. We've always been patient with managers, maybe not as patient with Kenny second time round as we could have been, but again, we're going down that FSG yeah. path. But I yeah. think one thing FSG and Klopp have got in common is that they do things, some work, some don't, but when they don't, they try to fix it, they try to learn from it, and there's a lot of clubs not really doing that. So, you know, I'm, I'm still quite pleased with what we've ended up with in this modern day of football because... We could have ended up with a lot worse as owners. We could have been in a, in, a, in a much worse mess. And thinking back to when we were all over the TV talking about Liverpool going into receivership and administration, I mean, those days seem such a long time ago now, but I'm sure there's going to be another club in that situation soon. 
the um, mm. European Super League, for example, that was rightly derided for the way it was done. But what then happened was the Premier League basically just glossed over it and didn't sort of address some of the reasons that people thought there might be need for a change. And it's so, you know, we, it's not just Liverpool that's wrong, getting things wrong. To me, the Premier League's getting things wrong because it's, it is still all about greediness, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. And the European Super League's coming. You know, it's um, Manchester City, you'll see to that. Um, <laughs> the, you know, the, the, the great perception in the boardrooms, not just in in the Premier League but across Europe, is that the only way to deal with City, uh, the growing threat in Newcastle and obviously PSG, is to have a some sort of league where there's the strict spends and caps in there yeah. and they don't believe UEFA can do it. The only way they can do it is uh, by, by um, setting up the Super League, and probably the only way they can sell it to these these uh, uh, state-owned entities is by having a closed, um, uh, you know, sort of a, a, a closed league with no promotion and relegation. I mean, this is all rumbling on, and all rumble on. We'll probably be talking about this at length in the next couple of years, but you know, it's going to happen, and when when the, the, the Premier League clubs threw out uh, Project Big Picture, which Liverpool, obviously, and United uh, and the Football League uh, uh, sort of joined up to, to to suggest a plan for the future, uh, it was inevitable that we'd be on the Super League path. I don't want to see a Super League path. You know, I, I just, you know, it frightens me to think how the game will go. And I kind of don't want to play Barcelona, you know, twice a year, no. uh, you know. I mean, you know, so once in a blue moon's fine. That's great. You know, big night. Oh yeah, Barcelona coming to town. Real Madrid's coming to town. Don't want to play. We, I mean, we play clubs too often anyway in the, the Champions League now, the group stage. Yeah. Um, but I don't want that. You know, I'd rather play Everton. You know, I'd rather play clubs like that on an annual basis and the traditional rivalries. But they, and that's the thing. You know, they they people like Everton. Don't realise that they're the ones who are going to be left outside the, the, the you know the top table. They're not going to get in, and yet you know it's um, you know they they all love the city mates, don't they? Well, yeah, that's the weird thing. I mean, I always felt like there was a bit of that. It was like I don't know. We sort of, and this is why it's so distressing seeing what City have done. We used to kind of get on okay with City, um, and I can remember being admiring their fans that stayed with them when they went down two divisions. You know, they always had massive attendances for away games and stuff. They had this yeah, yeah. real backing, and, and then I also remember being at Anfield when they were protesting against Staxin Shinawatra, and you know they wanted him out of the club, you know, and sympathising with them at the time. But I wonder how many of those fans still go to the game now, and. I, I don't know how many of them are the ones that are singing the Hillsborough chants and all the rest of it, but it feels like, you know, it feels like a different club now. And there's times mm. when I find myself sympathising more with Man United fans than Man City fans. I never thought I'd find, ever hear myself say that. Yeah, it's funny how quickly um, fan bases, and, and this is not just a knock at City because we saw it at Chelsea as well, and we'll probably see it at Newcastle, how quickly they turn and become something they're very different to what they traditionally be. How, how quickly they become um, entitled, and um, yeah, that's and that, that that's a, a disappointing thing. And you know, and the thing about City is like uh, you know, yeah, yeah, we always had a superficially good rep, rep, 
uh, relationship with them. But you know what? You go up there to main roles and, and mm. you soon learn that you're getting that Mancunian reception. Yes. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> you, you might both dislike Manchester United to a great de- yeah. degree, but you, yeah, yeah, you get, you get the full man, um, the full man greetings when you went to main roles. And, you know, you, you, you you know, we should never forget that, <laughs> uh, that you know the inbuilt rivalry between in the cities meant it was always going to happen. But no, it is disappointing, you know, because like you, I always thought they were very, very funny in that dry, you know, Mancunian yeah. way. So it's um, no, it's it, it is absolutely disappointing the way things have gone. And you know, I wouldn't mind if they just said, you know, this is this is City. They were my club before. You know, Abu Dhabi bought us. You know, I, I, I couldn't do nothing to stop that. I don't agree with the regime over there, uh, but I'm going to enjoy supporting the city as much as I can. I could live with that. Yeah. You know, it's like, but no, it's a slavish defence. That's the thing, everything yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the bit I, I don't understand. I was, I was talking about this, I've talked about it a few times, that if, if it had been us that had been bought out by, you know, the the same people that buying out City and Newcastle and PSG, that I feel there have been a lot of resistance amongst us for it to happen in the first place. But inevitably, it would have happened. And then I think at that point, we'd have been accepting to a certain extent alongside constantly campaigning to try and make them change. And whether we would have had any impact on that, I don't know. But you can believe yourself we'd have damn well done our best to make sure they knew that we didn't agree with it we you know I, I think as as a fan base and as a city we just tried to make them see where they're going wrong and whether you know whether you'd have made a change or not but that's the thing you can't just sit back and and let it happen and worse than that sit back and defend it and that's that that's just what feels alien to me but I might be wrong. I might just be being a bit romantic about how we would have been because I think there are a lot of people from any any club any part of the country that you know they're, they're easily sort of, um, you know, the dollar signs light up in their eyes and they're quite happy to get that new signing. Yeah, yeah, sadly, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I agree 100%. I think the majority of the fan base, sadly, probably would have, um, would have, you know, sort of acquiesced, like City, you know, because as I say, I think there's so many who just care about silverware. Well, you see it, they don't care about the identity of the club. They just care about winning. But you know what? The thing that, that I loved most about going the game was not the winning. To be honest, it was almost incidental. Yeah. It, it was brilliant in the 80s, particularly because when the city was under political, economic and social pressure and nothing good seemed to be coming out of Liverpool, you know, to, to be able to go to, uh, to London, to all these cities across the countries and chant Liverpool and be successful was wonderful. But kind of the thing that I, why I went the match was to go with me mates, to have a good time, to have adventures, to go to places I'd never been to before or probably would never go for any other reason. And you know what? If I would have been an Evertonian, I would have had the same experience, obviously with less success and and, and less adventures because, you you know, the less Europe. But but I still would have gone with me mates and I still would have, you know, really enjoyed the the whole experience because that's what was best about it. If going the match was just about the match... I think we all would have given up really early. Yeah, and that's 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 the. I sometimes think to myself, how do you cope being like a fan of I don't know, say Stoke, when Stoke were going through a spell of kind of always finishing in the middle of the table playing football that I'll just say wasn't the most attractive football you could see. I used to think, how could you go watching that week in week out? Well, the thing is, like you say, that's just the hour and a half, 
that's the excuse for going out, isn't it? It's not, yeah. it's not why you're going. It's, there's, there's so much more to it than that. And so many memories, you, you could list memories going back years from going to matches, but you know, there's probably more memories of outside the stadium and, you know, on the way down, on the way home, what you did in that city or that town, apart from the match, because I don't think people realize just how much the culture includes the, um, the day out. I mean, the whole, the whole thing, the whole culture of that is, is something that, you know, it's great to have had the chance to be part of, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. And, and I, I think, What's difficult now, it's so different because you're in an all-season stadium. You can't gather with your mates. You can't move to another set of mates like you could during mm. stands. And um, of, often you split up. I mean, I hate that book on the match. You know, it's a, it, when I'm in the press box, obviously I see people I know. But when when I'm just in the ground in, in the you know in the cop, you know you, you're miles away from it. You know, you, me, me mates are scattered all around the main stands and the uh, the, the Kemlin and. Uh, you know, so you see them before and you see them after, but inside, the, I mean, you know, let's face it, especially if you're sober, for long spells, football can be very dull. Yes, <laughs> you know, it's like it's just the way that the game is, and no one wants to admit it. Everyone wants to talk about techers and wants to have YouTube clips, but there are spells in matches which are flat. That's Even why match matches. of the day only shows highlights because it couldn't yeah, yeah, sit exactly. loads of ninety minute games on exactly. And you know, it's a, and it's great because it builds the tension. But over the years, you know, I'd stand there on the cop with my mates, and and you know, so the, especially when we were so on top, it was untrue. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd have me back to the to the game talking to them. You know, it's like I would be discussing all kinds. It was a social occasion. It wasn't uh, the the match was the focal point that got you all there, but it was the be all and end all. And you know, and again with away games, and I feel sorry for people who only ever watch it on telly. Because you know what, the, 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 you get beat by Leeds with a last-minute goal, and it's a sickener. If you're sitting there and watching on telly, what you do, you get, you kick the cat, you go to bed. Yeah. You know, it's, um, and you go to bed angry. No, don't kick the cat. Kitsuma, do not kick the cat. Yes. But anyway, kiddies, cat kicking is wrong. Anyway, but like suffice to say, you go to bed, and, and you, you go to bed angry, you wake up angry. You know what, if I would have been there on Saturday night, I would have been, you know, sort of around the corner to the flat iron. You know, it's one of them. You have a few bevies. Yeah. Go into town, you know, and you'd be in town. And by by about quarter past 11, well, even before that, by about, about quarter to 11, I'd have forgot there was a defeat. We'd be having a laugh. We'd be slagging each other off. We'd be, we would be drinking beer. Yeah. And we'd be like, you know, we'd, we'd, be, we'd be having a good night. And and that is why, you know, sort of going was so great. It's... You know, the easiest way to get over losing is to go for a bevy afterwards with your mates. That's it, exactly. And yeah, you, I mean, as you say, that you, on TV you turn it off, and that's the end of it. At the match, there's there's plenty more time before that's the end of it. Before you get home, whether even if you want to rush home, even if you're one of these who rushes out ten minutes from the end, which I've never never really got to be honest. I've never really got the idea unless you really really need do need to leave because you shouldn't really be there because you really are going to miss your flight or something. Um, stay to the end no matter how bad it is that's what i always think you never know what you might see but the other the other aspect of that is um when when you're at the game you, you're part of the crowd you're part of you are that 12th man and i do think that not being able to just go in and turn up and sit with your mates has made a big difference to, to yeah. the atmosphere at anfield because i mean you'd have been the same if you wanted to get into some games at anfield and, you, and it was pay on the day you had to get in that queue really early well before kickoff if you were lucky you'd be in the cop maybe a couple of hours before kickoff and 
And that atmosphere would build, you know, May to come and find you, wouldn't they, as the morning went on, or the, or the yeah. afternoon went on, I should say. And by the time it was kick-off, everyone was so up for it. That cop was literally bouncing. And nowadays, it's like, to stay with your mates and do the same kind of thing for a build-up, you're all in the same pub for a bit, aren't you? And then you all, as you say, you split up, you go and sit down next to someone you don't know. And... Unless you're the most extrovert person in the world, you're not going to be as loud next to some strangers as you are next to your mates, are you? No, never at all, never at all. And you know, it's, um, I, I, you know, everyone talks about the um, the great night ap- atmosphere at Anfield. You know, I think everyone thinks of ways of doing it. You know, bring more flags, bring scarves, get in early, and that. You know, my view on it: three pints for everyone. Yeah, three pints for everyone. You come out of work for the night games. You have you, you have a quick three, and then you're up to the grounds. It's just enough to make it a little bit, a little bit like how should we put it? Um, more excitable than normal, but not enough to be to be, to be too drunk. Three pints, like if you were to everyone, kids, you know, yeah, no, actually, no, <laughs> I'm not encouraging kids. To yeah, we're not French, but but, but that, that, that's um, that, that. I mean, that's what seems to, you know to to for me. And and again, everyone go, oh, you know, why, why aren't you singing? Why aren't you singing? Anfield was not about singing. What it was about was the hostility. Yeah. It was about that massive grumble, that massive angry, <laughs> like, you know, it's a, the singing was a kind of a, a secondary thing, a byproduct. But Anfield at its best is when it's like, when it's agitated and mildly angry, you know, it's, um, well, not mildly, actually, sometimes very angry, yeah. you know, when, 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 when sort of, you know, you look at like things like the City game or the Barcelona game where everyone feels they've been insulted and everyone's like, everyone's fuming when they get <laughs> You know, it's like, uh, and, and, and that that's what the singing isn't what, you know, singing isn't what makes atmosphere. What makes a, a atmosphere is snarliness. Yeah. And when, you know, and when I'm feeling snarly, it's great. Yeah, because the referee's like, I'm not going to give that one. You know, balance, you know, it, I'm not sure whether that was in or out, but I'll go with whatever the own fans want just for a bit of peace and quiet. You know, frightening people into doing things. You know, you just, um, you're a visiting striker about to take what looks like an easy shot and you just, you just don't do it unless, um, I mean, we can probably think of a few players. One person that he didn't work on was Mark Hughes, wasn't it? He? he always seemed to, mm. to thrive on that, but most players, they can't deal with it. And, and this is the thing, it is a spectacle. The You'll Never Walk Her Home was the thing before the game, and you never used to wear it much during the games and things. And, you know, the singing was kind of done after the goals, wasn't it? But in between, yeah, it was, it was just, it was, it, it's hard to explain what the atmosphere is like. And, yeah, and, you know, and, you know and, and like, now you'll never walk alone has become such a serious thing. Mm. Put your scarf up and sing, you know, this is important. I'm having a moment. It wasn't <laughs> like that. People say, I mean, I don't think I ever sung You'll Never Walk Alone in the ACs, you know. I mean, you know, so that was that was the older generation to us. Yeah. And and you know, so it was you know, to, to us it was I am a Liverpoolian, Scouts of Tommy, you know, it's one of yeah. them. But the other thing is, and people don't realise, that in the seventies, everyone sang You'll Never Walk Alone, even the Manx. Yes. You know, it's like you, you, if you turn on the big match big match revisitors, you're there, you'll never walk alone being sung everywhere. And there was a clapping faster version that people often sang, but everyone sang it. Obviously, it was predominantly associated with us, but like, but everyone sang it, so it wasn't that big a deal. But now it's almost like it's a religious rise, it's very serious business. Well, you know what? Football's not serious business, and singing and football matches isn't serious businesses. So please just relax, chill. You'll never walk alone, it's no big deal. Just sing it. 
Yeah, and um, you know, I mean, on the same score, I wonder if um, I think Man City, their fans will finally realise where uh, "Hey Jude" was written. You know, where the, where the band that sang "Hey Jude" came from, and you know, it sounds so weird listening to them um, singing along to that song. But you know what? It, it's that's the Beatles, isn't it? That's another thing from Liverpool that people love and when they when they when they sort of let themselves just open their eyes to what's really in liverpool you know what so many people love the city and love being here because i i you know it's, it's a city that the people of the city are proud of the city and the way it's the way it's improved so much in recent years by thanks to european money in a lot of ways but thanks also to the fight from liverpool people to to make sure it's better and you know i think if you're listening to this and you love the club but you're not sure about the city i advise you just just come and have a visit just come spend a few days don't come when it's eurovision because you'll not be able to afford the bill for the hotel but come some other time and just just enjoy the city because it's it's something else and as tony has never not lived there as much not lived there for years you know because of work and so on it's still home for you isn't it and i'm sure you know you, you'd be more than happy to welcome people if you bumped into them when you were out around the bill yourself so hopefully oh, tony, yeah, yeah. you know and, you know, and like you know, it's um, that's one of the things. And whenever I, I am home, it's 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 amazing how many you know sort of Scandinavians and uh, and Americans you you know bump into you. Yeah. And you know, some of them have like sort of recognised me from various things I've done over the years. And invariably, you have a great time with them. You know, it's um, and and so and Liverpool's always been really welcome. You know what? It's a port city. It's an international city. They're, you know the. But people from different, strange and exotic places were there all the time. You got used to seeing them. Yeah. And so it's deep in our mindset to welcome people. You know, we're not an insular landlocked town where, you know, it was a bicycle ride to the next village and, you know, it, it, it was a big deal to do that. You know, we're, we're, a, we're a multinational city with um, people coming and going and, and, and that, has permeated through to today where people are just really great and friendly and I advise anyone if you're listening you haven't been to Liverpool get there the one thing I can't stand is people who say oh you know I'm, I'm a big Liverpool fan but I wish the club was somewhere else God, yeah. you know and like and that that just drives me insane you know it's um a fellow said that to me once on the train and he had his little fellow with him his kid and I've been talking to him for about 25 minutes train going back to London and I said like you know what I, you know, you've got your little fellow with you, so I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna like sort of react like I normally would. I said, but like, you know, basically, I, I you know, if if he wasn't here, you'd be getting the telling off of your life. Yeah, you know, it's there, uh, and like, you know, I was like, you know, go and support another club, go somewhere else, you know, go somewhere where you're comfortable, because we don't want you, we want the little fella, yeah. you know, <laughs> well, <not> me, <laughs> but not you, you know, it's like, and and basically, you know. He disgusted me, and and people people like that do disgust me. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, he's gone on the train, gone on the match, gone on the train, come home. He's not even enjoyed his day out, has he? Really, he's just he's just gone for the match, and so he doesn't understand, as you've just said, what what football's all about. So, you know, there's so much more to football than just the match. That's something I will tell anyone, and I, you'll, you'll hear it loads and loads and loads from people who were lucky enough to get to games. But when you are at the game, you can see so much more as well. So. Get to a game if you can. I know it's expensive, but get to the city if you can. Again, it may be a bit expensive, but but please do it. Um, I'm sure we'll have loads more conversations like this because I'm sure you'll be on again with us soon, Tony. It's been great speaking to you for the last hour or so. It's flown by, and we haven't even sort of scraped the surface of some of the stuff we could have said. So, <laughs> <laughs> And we haven't well, ranted that much, have we? Yeah, just a little bit. And you know what? The thing is, 
that's one of the great things about football. You can talk forever about it, and it brings people together. And and it's one of them. People often say to me, you know, because it's because it's job and all that. Do you ever get bored with it? I'm like, well, yeah. There are times when you think, you know, yeah, like a like a, a, a game. There was a game against Man U at Anfield, a Monday night game, and it was had to file a thousand words, and it was nil nil. It was drab. At half time, I'd written thirty five words, and I'm like, ah, uh, this is not good. This is tough. But you know what? If you're bored with football, then you're bored with life, aren't you? You just have to be stupid. There's never, you know, in the bottom line, there's never been a game where I couldn't write five, 15,000 words about and even even drab nil-nil ones. And, and it's not boring. You know, you, 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 and when you see as well the impact it has on people and you see the faces light up when they're talking about it, and, you know, it's really great for the likes of me. You know, I can tell stories about Darlish. I can tell stories about Rafa. I can tell stories about Klopp. You know, I can tell stories about the players I've met. I can tell, you know, the former players. You know, one of them. And you see the faces. They love it. Yeah. So how could you ever get bored with it? I don't know. I don't know. And that's it. I mean, and, and with Liverpool, you know what? Liverpool will always keep you excited, even if it's... Um, Excited in a kind of nervous way, which is like the current Liverpool's way of doing things. But you know what? Liverpool will be back and we will as well. So thanks for listening. Thanks to Tony for being here. Thanks for your columns as well. Keep reading Tony's columns on Anfield Index because you'll learn a lot from them. Keep listening to us if you can. Listen to all the shows. And yeah, if you really want to think about the most recent game at the time of recording, we did a post-match podcast straight after. Somehow, I don't know how we went and did it, but you know, an hour or so late, we we all felt a lot better, but maybe we'd have felt better if we would have all been in a pub doing it. But for now, <laughs> thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.